On today's episode, we talk to Sophie Butler, a creator who makes content about lifestyle and fitness through a queer and disabled lens. In this wonderful and wide-ranging conversation, Sophie and I talk about how to navigate a world that might not be built for you. We talk about anger and whether it's sustainable, about the role and importance of community, and the ways in which we all have different kinds of privileges and our identities are multifaceted, which means that we all have different parts to play and different responsibilities in various conversations. We don't like to define people, so I'll let you define yourself and introduce yourself however you want to. I'm Sophie Butler. I am a content creator. I largely create content um, across Instagram, TikTok, maybe YouTube again very soon, but that's all I will say on that for now. Um, But I create content around fitness, fashion, and also um, whatever is taking my fancy and piquing my interest at that time. Um, But I normally make content through the lens of being a queer disabled woman. Um, I become I was disabled when I was 21 and since then I've been kind of figuring out life and navigating it through then um, I was the first water user to be on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine in the UK in 2021 and it's currently sitting on my coffee table staring at me so I won't let myself forget it. <laughs> so what does your like day-to-day look like as a content creator um so every day is completely different um i think that's one of the things that i at first and still sometimes struggle with with being self-employed because i love routine i love structure um like when i was in hospital for my spinal injury when i was in rehab the like the the really high point for me was when i finally got to rehab and they gave me a timetable, and i was like oh my god yes a timetable it's like uni I can do this um I love structure I love routine so the and my day as a content creator is I normally in the winter months it's been so much harder um but I try to get up at least before seven anytime between sort of five and six thirty a.m I like to do like my little morning ritual of gym coffee read um and that's kind of like the hours before I have to do any anything for anyone else or for work or for anything I have those things things like to myself and they're the things that kind of really either benefit me in a health and well-being way or they really like fulfill me like whether that is like intellectually or emotionally or you know in some sort of way Um, and then the rest of the day really does look different every single day. So you do things um, in the morning that are time for yourself intellectually emotionally and then that's the beginning of your routine what is the rest of oh uh, yeah the rest of my day as a content creator really looks different every single day it can even be um a lot of a lot of my time really actually goes into the stuff before you actually film the content so the sort of brainstorming the researching planning especially because I do a lot of um content a lot of posts that require a lot of research so um I'm currently creating I'm working on quite a big project of content which is all about um beauty standards throughout history so there's a lot of reading involved in that a lot of fact checking that sort of stuff and I do a lot of content around um um social political issues like you know what is going on in the world of disabled rights and things like that and that takes a lot of time um and then obviously you have your filming your editing and that sort of stuff. So something that could maybe take um, 15 minutes to film could take a day of research. Um, and that's really where a lot of the time goes is the pre-planning. And then there's obviously a lot of um, like ad content, branded content, which is similar. It goes along the same sort of format of um, brainstorming, creative, that then goes to the brand for approval. And then there's the filming, editing process, and it goes back. And then they come back with either, hopefully, fingers crossed, an approval or with amendments. Um, and then it goes out in, into the world at some point. 
And how did you get into, I mean, we, we all grew, grew up on social, but how did you decide, was it the, was it a point of like, I want my, I want stories. I want to see stories like mine. Was it no one is saying like, for me, I know it was no one is saying the things I, I am thinking. And so maybe I need to start making things myself because nobody else is doing it. And I'm curious about what it was, if it was one thing or one moment or a realization, which like the switch flipped for you and you're like, oh, I need to be like, my voice needs to be heard because. Yeah, I think it was more of the way that I, I always say that I kind of fell into social media. I was, I've obviously always been on social media because of the age I am, I'm 26. So I was kind of with that generation where my early years were obviously without technology and then very quickly I've grown up with it. So I've adapted to it very well. Um, but I kind of fell into it as a job because I had, um, I became paralyzed when I was 21, I just finished uni. Um, and I think maybe out of boredom, out of some sort of like desperation to be seen through what I was going through or to be just to have people understand all of these really complex things I was going through. I was just sort of sharing my journey on Instagram as like a bit of a diary, um, really. And I never started doing it with the intention of I want to work with this brand and I want to do that. It was uh, back in, in that age, I was that was 2017 content creators and influencers were a thing but it wasn't like it is now where it's a big booming industry it only just really started to grow its legs and started to run very quickly then um so I never went into it with that intention um but I think when I realized that people were either there was like sort of two camps of people there were people that were either relating and seeking me out because they were also seeking people out or there were people who were learning and they were saying I've never even heard of you know this before or I've never seen someone go through this and I think because of what I was sharing was so um deeply personal and emotional at that time anyway I think people really emotionally kind of connected with what I was sharing um and then I just sort of started to share a little bit more a little bit of when I was getting back into fitness a little bit of fashion I've just started to share more and more sort of over the years and it's I feel like for so many of us that's how we get into it also like the the diary thing is something I relate to deeply where that was my experience as well at the beginning was this is just this is my life and stuff that's going through my head and the more real I got the more people engaged with me as well which is like a oh okay this is it's it's terrifying to to be real and to like put yourself out there but also that's where the response comes in and I'm curious about with that in mind there is at least I think a lot of us feel it there is on on social there, there it goes two directions right we find community we find people who are going through the same things we are people who want to learn about our experiences um, and also sometimes can feel like there is one normative experience which which is the one you see everywhere and it's the really like shiny glossy very curated a certain type of body um, generally an able-bodied person generally someone who is white generally like a thin woman it's a very like particular experience nothing bad ever seems to happen except like a coffee spilling and then the coffee magically is unspilled and look they fixed everything did you feel like I I know I do and I know a lot of people who'll be listening to this feel the, the pressure of like ooh, there's there's one experience how do I put myself out there because I'm not that right like that is not me none of us are that really but like that is not me so it's really scary to to be me on yeah, on social media. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I think um, 
I think maybe for me, I've never really been that um, exposed to that sort of, of content because I've never really been interested in, and this is just like personal preference from what I consume, I've never really been interested in, in that sort of content. Um, I think even, not even just on social media, but even in terms of what I watch on TV and who I'm interested in and things like that, I've never... I've never really been attracted towards that. Um, so I think when it came to then what I was putting out, I think it was naturally more reflective of my sort of real experiences and what I was really going through. And I think like maybe it was more um, more easy for me to do that because things I were going through, I was feeling so intensely like, you know, coming or going coming out of rehab and going to physio and all of these sort of things and really going through that recovery process. Um, I think it was so real and raw to me that I didn't even think about manufacturing it in a certain way and putting, and putting it out there. I was just like, this is what it is. And like, it's going, it's going up there as that. I've definitely, um, not, not to, uh, make it look glossy or, but more just to protect myself. I've definitely become more, uh, I'd say pick and choosing with what I do share on social media. Um, and I think because the longer that I've been on it, and the moral experiences that I've had on on social media in you know in over the years, I have learned that there is a lot of what you go through that kind of does just have to be for yourself. Um, and I, I think we're at the start. Maybe I used to overshare a lot, whereas now you wouldn't really catch me doing that as much. I will be raw and honest and that when I need to and when talking about things. I think I answer the question in a question box in my stories every day, and it was. I, I think I really opened up about how I really, even though I'm really confident as an individual, I really struggle with confidence in terms of my relationships and how um, you can be a really confident person, but still be not confident in other areas. And then immediately after I said that, I was sitting there like, oh, that wasn't very mysterious of you, Sophie, to open up like that. So, And I think that's because the more over, over time on social media, I think I have become a bit more guarded um, in terms of just protecting my own mental health and well-being. Because if you are going to do this sustainably, um, not just to be on social media, but if you are going to do it as a job, you do have to be your own HR out for yourself. Um, because otherwise, unfortunately, there are some people who will just take as much of you as, as they can get. Like when you're deciding, ooh, should I share this or not? Is there like a a point where you're like, okay, I'm ready to share this or these are the parts of my life that I will not share and you don't have to get into what you will or won't share. I'm more curious about like how you think through the decision making for others out there who might not be content creators or influencers for a living but are still like trying to figure out how much of themselves to share on TikTok or on Instagram and don't know how to like begin that that process. Yeah, I think I think less about it. And I think more about how I feel about it. When I'm presented with a question or a topic, how do I feel at the idea of other people being in on that information about me? Um, and also, well, have I spoke? Have I have I thought of have I taken the time to really think about it myself? And even when I made that point yesterday, of talking about it, I made a point of saying, you know, I mean, I'll talk about often because I'm working for it privately. But, you know, someone has asked the question because they're also in need of connection and if they, they were also seeking help. And I think that's important context as well, because especially as a disabled woman, there are a lot of people out there who will just ask and ask and ask so many personal questions just because they're nosy. Um, and, you know, and sometimes that's OK because it helps to um, educate. But there are some things, and what was really important for me to learn is it's not my job to educate everyone. Um, and some people don't want to be educated. They do want to be nosy. And I think 
there's no framework for knowing the difference on that. You can you feel it. You feel it in the question. You feel it in the tone, even though it is written down, obviously, on the screen. But I could tell this question was coming from someone who also was really struggling within the same sort of sphere. So you kind of put that into context. Um, so, yeah, have you really taken the time to think through it yourself? What is the context of the person asking? And have you spoken about it? off social media so that's something that I've spoken through with you know like my flatmate or my friends like they kind of know it so um and there's things as well like you know with my family or friends are going to see it are they going to be really surprised by what I'm saying not really for their protection but more just because at least then I know that I've said it out loud and I've had the question then reflected back to me um because I think often we we float so many thoughts and ideas and feelings around our heads so often that it's not until we speak it out loud to someone else and they present it back to you you're almost presented it back to reevaluate what you've said I'm going to use that framework thank you where the idea of just also like have you talked about it to someone else in your life because if not then and that's the like social as a diary but with a with a platform and with lots of people who don't know you personally following you it's suddenly like well the whole world has access to your diary and yeah you have to do you is has your relationship I imagine has changed with like community right like I imagine at the beginning you were finding you were finding people who were going through what you were you were finding a sense of community um in learning to navigate the world as a disabled person in like going to physical therapy whatever it was right like you were you were finding people who were going through it do you still feel like you have that or is it long in the past now because it's like you talking to a lot of people as opposed to having a conversation with a few few people there are certain accounts where people will follow me for years and I recognize their little profile picture pop up in comments or in messages. And so there's a real mix of people who have been following me for years. And, you know, I really feel like it's a part of a, a tight knit community. And then there are people who may have discovered me just last week. Um, and they're engaging with me from a completely with no context at all most of the time. Um, and that can be really really jarring sometimes especially when um if you grow quite quickly sometimes so i've had really quite slow sustainable growth which is nice for my mental health but there have been times where um i've maybe grown like a lot of followers in a short burst so if you get reposted on a bigger account and you end up gaining 3k within two one or two days um a lot of people are like oh yeah i want to do that that's their dream but and I was actually having this conversation last night of me and my flatmate were talking about particularly YouTubers who have blown up on the platform, gained millions of followers in the space of a few months. Um, and you notice a pattern with a lot of them then actually leave the platform very quickly because it is, it's almost like you throw a party and you're having fun, you're having fun with all your friends. And then all of a sudden, a load of people you don't know and who don't really know you show up and you have to explain the rules of your house and like who you are. And if they don't like that or they don't align with that, sometimes they just leave the party quietly or sometimes they'll sit there in your house and tell you how wrong you are and what an awful person you are for the rules of your house. Um, and yeah, it can be a really jarring sort of experience. It must be really hard also to, as you said, like it's it's your house, it's your party and then all these people come in and they have opinions. Yeah, it's, on it's your life and your, yeah. and your experience. <laughs> but they have opinions like who yeah to have opinions it's all it's like yeah <laughs> and I think because it's on social media everyone is so strongly held in their opinions so um I mean what I like to do if I have like quite a big growth spur in um like a short amount of time I like to then do a little like get to know me like question box you know like what do you want what do you want to know about me um 
so we can kind of I, I'd like would love to welcome more people into my little community and my little tiny space of the internet and what I do. But I almost like to think of it as this is what I'm about. This is who I am. This is what we generally, not speaking for everyone who follows me, because we're not all aligned on everything and that's fine. But this is generally what we're about here. If you align with that, cool. Like come join the party. If not, you are more than welcome to, to unfollow. Um, but something that I think is really important to remember is that not everyone is always going to know you in context. Um, so not everyone is going to know every everything about you or every little thing that you've been through that leads you to have opinions about certain things or the way you feel about certain things. And it's actually not really their job to know everything about you, but it's also not your job to teach them everything about you. Um, like, it's, it's fine. It's also a helpful reminder because everything we put out is like one thing, right? Like it's one yeah. thing someone is seeing and... The expectation is, well, haven't they seen the thing I did last month? And I, I answered that question or I explained why, but they had three seconds to watch whatever and they decided to make their opinion in those three seconds or five seconds. Yeah, I had a similar conversation with, I was actually at an airport, um, not that long, well, I think not long ago, it was nearly a year ago, I've got no concept of time. Um, and the special assistance for getting off the plane, it was because of the there was major delays at the airport and stuff so I ended up sitting on the plane for quite a while after everyone had disembarked as you know and it was not a comfy experience but because I was tired and whatever I didn't cover fast I just kind of got on got on the little like thing that takes you back to the airport and whatever but there were other people who we picked up who really did who really were visibly and audibly quite annoyed um and I think because I kind of didn't say anything the people who were working it were kind of sort of like trying to get me to engage in the the discourse or a conversation about the other people being like, oh, why, why, what they were annoyed about and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, <clears throat> I'm not going to sit here and join in the conversation with you and effectively kind of trash another disabled person because I said, yeah, to you, it might seem unreasonable that they're so annoyed about something because to you it seems reasonable that you know you as a staff member are stretched really thinly and you're, you're doing everything that you can but try and put in the perspective of you don't know what that person has experienced up until this point that might lead them to be a bit more on edge they might have had their wheelchair broken before coming off a plane and so for them having to wait longer and having that anxiousness of oh my god like I need to get to my chair is it okay but like, you don't know all of those things so instead of because disabled people do get pinned quite often as being quite bitter or angry and I think instead of having that that thought of like oh they're that think about what might have led them to to be like that at this point because they probably have been through some stuff which has made them react in that way and it's also just i mean it's just shitty that a disabled person would have to wait longer and rely on support right like the system is then not set up for them it is set up for the able-bodied people so of course they're upset whether they're audibly upset or not yeah and big and, you know, and, and i understand from the perspective of the airport workers like oh, well, you know we're stretched really thin we're doing everything we can it's not technically our fault and i'm like yes but it's also not their fault like you shouldn't be fighting each other here like you both want the same thing but try to think about it from their perspective because you wouldn't be happy if it was happening to you and you were experiencing it i also it's it's like the system is the problem nobody actually like we're all stuck in this broken system which yeah not set up to serve anyone, whether it is the airport workers or it is the other people and you who are waiting to get the support you needed. Yeah, exactly. I imagine there is, I thought you were going to take the story a different route. Um, I imagine also it's partly like the 
they expected you to speak for everyone else or like well you're not upset so why are they but yes if all disabled people are a monolith and all have the same feelings and same thoughts because they all have a disability as if all able-bodied people are the same thing and have the same thoughts and feelings. Yeah, and and it is like a common thing that you find non-disabled people do where, and not even just with disability, with other marginalised groups such as, you know, whether it's the queer community or whether it's about race, um, whatever it is, they'll almost find the person from that marginalised group who already aligns with what they already believe and then they'll go, oh, but they said that. Um, so, and that already aligns with what I, what I already believe. So if they said it, it's fine. Um, and yeah, there was that kind of air of atmosphere. If they looked to me like, oh, you're not annoyed. And I was like, I'm tired. I can't be bothered to argue. I just, you know, I'm just come off my flight. Like, no, but I support them and they're right to be angry about this. Um, but as you say, it's not a monolith. Like we all have different thoughts and feelings and we've all experienced different things, which leads us to have different opinions about stuff and the idea also that like you always have to be fighting right where it's it's exhausting to constantly be fighting and like everyone picks the day they they fight the i like the whole spoon theory thing as well right like how many spoons like how much do you actually have in you on any given day to fight the fight and maybe that was a day you didn't want to fight but that doesn't mean you don't think it's bad or wrong and yeah like maybe if it had been a morning flight I might have been there with them like arguing (laughs) you know it doesn't yeah exactly you really have to pick and choose like your battles because I think especially I see I experience a lot when I'm out with friends maybe something will happen and they'll be like well that's not right and I go yeah but I want to have a good night I haven't got it in me right now to fight that fight or to argue that or to do whatever um and like there, I think when you when you experience ableism or any kind of um, discrimination or prejudice, when you experience it in snapshots, it almost feels like you get this rush to be like, but that's an injustice and we must correct it. But when you experience it, uh, you know, every day or as a life, when you, when it's a part of your lived experience as a human being, you really learn to pick and choose because you also have to be able to enjoy life. And if you're constantly crusading every little thing you go through it's really hard to enjoy life um which is really sad and marginalized people shouldn't be in that position where they have to choose to crusade their justice or enjoy it but you have to find the balance it's it's a conversation i was having this conversation with a friend last night about something very similar of like how to be a good ally whatever your identity we all have different kinds of privilege everyone does and also we all have different identities where we might be discriminated against or um, the system isn't set up for us and the idea of like to be a good ally you you should be angry and you should be upset when there is injustice but your anger and like upset shouldn't be centered right it's not like that's the the main story so when you have the when you encounter it in the in the little bits or like in the snapshots as you said you get angry but then you get to leave and live your life and forget about it and i think it's it's something that i often ask people is like what are you going to take from that experience and how are you going what i'm not expecting you to go out and change the world but like what are you going to take from that experience um so like i know that i i made a reel the other week and um i was talking about how um how to use the tubes, the um, the London Underground, as a wheelchair user. I was talking about this particular app that I use, the TFL Go app. It's a brilliant app because you can see on there um, if the lift is down. So if a lift is broken, they have to update on there, I think within like half an hour or something, don't quote me on that. They have to update very quickly um, if that lift is broken. And I just put it out there like, you know, this might be helpful. 
and then someone commented on it. I'm not a wheelchair user, I'm able-bodied, but I've downloaded the app because then if I come across a wheelchair who needs help, a wheelchair user who needs help, I can then help them and show them the app. And I just thought that is such like a, a very small way of learning something and incorporating it into your life because currently you don't really need to use the app and it doesn't really benefit you in any way to have it, but you've seen that it's helpful and you've taken that information, you've incorporated it into your own life um, in a completely hypothetical sense because they might never come across a wheelchair user on the tube. But if they do, they then have that like information there. And I, that made me really smile because I was like, oh, that's like such a good way of someone learning something and not just going, oh, cool, but actually taking it and, and using that information. It's also nice because it's if you weren't telling them to do it as well, right? Like they, yeah. they took the initiative all on their own and figured out how they could be helpful. They could be a good ally. And yeah. And hopefully, like, if they comment, it's, like, signposted to other people as well. Like, hey, this is, you're able-bodied and you're you're thinking this isn't useful for you. Actually, it could be. Like, this is how you could use this. And I think that's it. The signposting it to other people is the important part because I did find at the start, when I started to involve more work talking about, there's a thing with experience and, you know, advocating for or talking about different issues you experience as a disabled person, I found that a lot of people were really attaching my identity to those issues, which then meant that, one, I was getting a load of messages which were just traumatic stories from non-disabled people. They would find articles, they'd come across an article about something that's happened to a wheelchair user and send it to me and be like, you should do a post on this. And I'm like, I'm eating breakfast, <laughs> you know? Like, I would get stuff like that all the time. Um, or people would then, and I don't think maybe it happened so much, but I was more conscious of really not wanting it to happen. But I didn't want people to care about these things just because I was an influencer they liked talking about. The, the issue I wanted them to care about it because it affects so many disabled people and it could affect anyone because anyone becomes disabled at any point I don't want them just to be like well Sophie cares about this so I'll care about this so that's when I started to use um, like infographics on Instagram so like that just like the just in graphics so my sometimes I'll still use my pictures as a part of that to demonstrate like if I physically want to show an image of something happening but a lot of the time I will just use like a plain ombre background and I'll type because then people are learning about the issue and they're consuming the information almost without my image being so directly um, linked to the issue because then I'm hoping that they will learn about the issue as as detached as it can be from my image that's something that must also I imagine is something you've had to like figure out how to navigate is you are Sophie a human who is queer and has a disability but you are Sophie a human right like and you don't want to become just like Sophie the the disabled influencer the disabled activist and like you just become you are a topic and not a person who has feelings and interests and multitudes of flares and who can grow and evolve and change because I, I did start to find that at first like and um, it's been so much better I'm really lucky actually the community and the sort of what I've sort of have on Instagram they're so interested in you know just how am I as a person and the little things I'm interested in whether it's like horrible histories or like the playlist I'm currently listening to and I really feel seen like as a person whereas when I first started out I did feel a bit more like a textbook um, and if I did a question box, like I think a good example of how my community has grown is if I did a question box years ago, back in maybe 2018, 2019, like the very sort of start of me doing Instagram, 
there would be at least 10, like on stories, question box, there would at least be 10 responses in there being like, how'd you come paralyzed? Why are you in the chair? And then really personal questions about like me as a wheelchair user. Whereas now that like never happens. Um, unless there's someone who's just hopped onto my stories one day randomly doesn't really follow me and like, you know, and put it in there. But the questions are more, how are you? What are you reading right now? And they're about me as a person, which has really been it's helped me sustain my, my job in social media but it's also been really affirming for me as a person to know that people aren't just interested in the traumatic things I go through as a disabled person but they're also interested in, in me as a person it's also the, the, the it goes back to what you were saying about people being nosy where the like they, it sounds like the people feel so entitled to your story right and to every part of your life and to like it's it's weird the the idea that we wouldn't just go up to someone on the street and be like excuse me like can I ask you this really personal question about your split like that would just I imagine not happen I hope it doesn't happen. I was I was about to say you'd be surprised I worked in retail before I went full time with um, social media and there was a time where I was doing both alongside. Um, and when I worked in retail, I'd worked on like the tills, like self-checkout, I'd work actual in like in the aisles and stuff like that. And people would just fully come up to me and be like, why are you in a wheelchair? Um, or like, can, can I ask, why are you in a wheelchair? And I'd be like, uh, no, you can't. <laughs> like, and I just remember being so sort of perplexed by it because I went back to work in retail. I worked at, at this particular retailer before I became injured and then I had a year off obviously for when I was in the hospital in rehab and then recovery and then I went back after a year and it was so um it was really odd it's probably how a lot of most people felt being in lockdown and then going out into the world and being really overwhelmed that's like how I felt but with coming out of re- recovery rehab and going back into retail um and I really just could not get over the audacity of so many people um and it was like an every an everyday thing. It wasn't just one or two people. It was every single shift it would happen. And it's like some of the things people would ask and the way people, the attitude people would push. I remember like one person, bear in mind, it's, it's a Saturday in a supermarket. Really, really busy. It's the tail end of the year. So people are starting to Christmas shop. And I was on the self-checkout and I didn't get to this woman quick enough in her eyes to approve her alcohol because I was also approving the alcohol free other people. Um, and she just bellowed across the self-checkout, well, if you can't get to me quick enough, maybe you shouldn't be working here or they shouldn't have you here. And I was like, what? And I was just so perplexed. I didn't say anything. I just sort of looked at her and raised my eyebrows. And then luckily, another cu- a customer kind of jumped in and was like, say that again. Like, I want you to say it again out loud and think about, like, what you've said. Like, look around you and get some perspective. You're not the only person sort of working here. Um, and I think that that time in retail as a disabled person really made me realise some of, like, the attitudes people have towards disabled people because I've experienced ableism and, like, nosiness online. But to experience it in person is a whole other board game because it feels so much more vulnerable um, and there were times where I would leave the shop floor and just be like in like in tears almost because I was like when you're in hospital and rehab and when you're trying to get your life back together no one prepares you for this stuff that so you just really have to sort of it's like a baptism by fire I'm sorry that that has been the reality it it sounds awful and I'm also grateful that there are people like the person who jumped in and it's not like there are good people out there who are who are allies and like yeah. allies and not just, you know, saying they're allies. There's so much that you said there with like, the thing that sticks with me is so much of ableism is rooted in like 
the one the expectation that like all bodies are the same which they aren't or the fact that like that that could be any anyone right like our our health is so fragile um and it it feels at least to me and i have a chronic illness like i've spent most of my life understanding that like my body is not it it's not the norm i have a disability it's it's and the expectation that there is only one way for a body to function, right? And that could not be the other person. Like, we're all going to die someday. Our bodies fail all the time. That's why the healthcare system exists, right? Like, we all go to the doctor when we need to. We, And it's it's galling and also just, like, strange that people don't see that, given the fact that we all live in the same world. Yeah, I was having a similar conversation with my flatmate the other week because we were talking about... Why does disability, it feels like that thing, like, I mean, we still have so much further to go in terms of conversation about race and queerness and all the other marginalised groups, but disability seems like the one thing um, that I don't see people really even having the conversation on that much. Um, And we were talking about it and I said, I was like, well, when I've spoken to strangers about disability or when people meet me as a disabled person, they didn't know me before disability, a lot of people assume that I've just always been disabled, I was born this way. And I have to say, no, I became disabled at 21. Um, and you almost see for a, like just a second, it flickers in their eyes, the realisation that it could also happen to them. And it's like the scariest thing for these people to suddenly realise that. And I think because it's so fearful and because they're so scared of it, they almost want to just ignore it. And it's so much easier for them to go, well, that's not me. That wouldn't happen to me. You know, that's not my story. (coughs) And I even met people in rehab and like throughout hospital who had actually had spinal injuries and become injured like me and would almost be like, yeah, but I'm going to be fine. I'm going to recover because that's not me, that's not my story. And everyone goes for a little denial period, you know, maybe for the first few weeks or for so. But there were some people who were so, like, fully believed that disability isn't my, I'm, I'm not disabled, and that's not my story. And people just, I think people are so fearful of it because of the way we portray it in media and because of, you know, we're, it's almost a bit like the big bad wolf, people might not see it every day or they might not see it at all. Some people might go for their whole life not knowing they've met a disabled person. So people are really fearful of it. Which is, it's it's interesting also, like, the fact that I thought that would change with the pandemic and, like, all of us really being faced with our own mortality in whatever way or the mortality of everyone around us, if not our own mortality. And, like, starting to have conversations about the fact that, like, we all have bodies and our bodies are all vulnerable to illness. And we've all known that, like, most of us have had the flu at some point, but, like, really understanding that. But it it feels like we all saw that had that moment that you described of like, ooh, this this is getting real. And then everyone's like rushed off in the other direction because it's too scary to actually sit with that and build a world that like holds space for that. Even with things that I remember when um, lockdown lifted and we started to slowly integrate back anyway. Um, and it was back in the days when you had to pre-book everything. It's pre-book everything. There's so many steps you had to do to access somewhere. And I remember like a few people complaining about it and I was like, oh my God, no. Imagine having to go through so many steps to access something. That must be so annoying. Imagine if you had to do that every day, regardless of where you were going. Like imagine if you had to pre-book a a ramp for a train 24 hours in advance, you know? And it was these little things I was, and the things I knew people were complaining about, I'm like, 
yeah, as I say, people people have been been putting that effort into access places, and you thought that would be the turning point for people to go, oh, that's really annoying to have to do that all the time. But unfortunately, I think the majority of the discourse was like, this is really frustrating and annoying for me <laughs> as like an individual, rather than there is a whole community of people who still have to do this. I imagine it goes back to what we were saying also of like the system is broken, right? And it's it's daunting in in every aspect. I think whatever part of life you look at, whether it's like class, whether it's race, whether it's disability, it's sexuality, it's gender, there's so much that is like beyond one person. Like we can all be good people, we can all be allies, um, but the system is broken and it's so daunting. And so I think I imagine there's a fear also of like if you actually look at that for what it is, it's like now what, right? Like how do we how do we keep moving forward given the fact that things are broken and like how do we hold on to hope and how do we know that we have like agency and power and we can we can do something like the person who downloaded the app, right? Like we can still do something even when yeah. something is broken. And I imagine a lot of that also is it's so much bigger than all of us. And I think the realization of how big the issues are is really what's turns people off completely um, from engaging in any sort of change. Um, I mean, if you look back at like, if we even look back at like the French Revolution, like that was that was huge, but that spanned years and years and years for, for any kind of for any kind of change, and then and then it kind of got renounced and they went back again and you know whatever. But I think people. I think because we live in a world of, of such convenience and I think people maybe do generally want to create change and they want to help. But I think we are in quite a tricky spot where people don't, un- they don't really know much more than what they can do than sharing an infographic. Um, and if it takes longer than that, it's like, well, you know, are they going to do it? And that's kind of the worry that I have with, obviously I share a lot of infographics on Instagram and stuff, but I think people need to understand that it has to go beyond that. And you do kind of have to inconvenience yourself in order to create change. Like it's not going to be as convenient as hitting share post onto your story, unfortunately. But just because you are not completely changing the world um, in in an instance doesn't mean it's not worth it. I think some people expect to maybe put the effort in or make some change or do something to make make put the effort in to make a change and then expect to see the results completely. Um, and you might not get the result when probably not going to get complete justice across all marginalized groups tomorrow if we all put the effort in today but it's making those steps um and I think that's something that really can't go unnoticed I think even if you just help one more disabled person out if you're you know if you're downloading the app and you go you say you download the tier go app and you're not changing disability rights over the course of a night but you might go on the tube tomorrow and be able to help one more disabled person that is a difference and that is more than you were doing the day before. That just makes it feel so like doable in a way that, because <laughs> it, it it does feel daunting, right? And I I I understand the like the like not disengagement, but the instinct to be like, oof. Well, if we're not going to see the change, how do we know that it's the right direction we're going in, or how do we know that this is I I. I'm, I'm the kind of person who used to be like this. I'm working through it now where it was, a, I want to make sure that I do the best thing I can possibly do. And if I don't see the outcome of it, I'm not going to know if it's the best thing. So I'm just paralyzed in like a, oof, I don't know how to ha- how to make the, the change, right? Like I don't know which direction to move in. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay still and and wait until someone points the way out to me. And yeah. 
the way out to me. I think something that's important as well to note is that you you can't really have any substantial individual change without systemic and structural change. So we put so much individual, uh, so much pressure on individuals to are you recycling and are you taking your reusable cup to the coffee shop and are you doing this and are you doing that? And it's like, give the people a break for a second. Like people, like there is so much going on. We're in the cost of living crisis. People are trying to survive. Um, And I do think we kind of expect way too much from people and way less from people who could make substantial change from corporations and from companies. Um, And I think we put so much focus on individual change, but I think we kind of need to evenly distribute our attentions, as it will, um, because, yes, because people do need to make individual changes, but companies and corporations also do. And I think that is something that people maybe don't maybe take for granted is their power as a collective to put pressure on these companies and corporations. Um, It's a bit like that scene in Bugs Life where he's like, um, oh, he's talking about how the ants together are strong. And it's the same in Rise of Planet of the Apes, where he's like, one ape weak, and he's like, ape together strong. Um, and I think, you know, I think the people as a collective, we need to understand that we, yeah, we do need to make individual changes to our life, but we need to also focus our attentions to the people who really are, could be doing so much more. It's almost like we make all the individual changes we want but like if the system enabled us to live in a way that was more like sustainable it wouldn't the onus wouldn't be on us to like do the most right like it has to be the world should be built for all of us as opposed to us trying to to adapt to like a broken world yeah no exactly so this leads very nicely into my last question which is a cheesy one but the series is called little revolutions which is basically like the conversation we've just had but because like change can and does often come in the big sweeps of change, but also it comes in like the daily things, right? The, the the small things we can all do. If someone listening to this is looking for how to get started, right? And what what little revolutions would you suggest people could make, whether they are, they are part of a marginalized group or not, whether they are trying to make change for themselves or for others, whatever it is, right? Like what is one thing that when someone comes to you and is like, Sophie, I don't know where to start, what is one little revolution you think people could make? I think just being willing to learn, I think, and to make sure that you are um, looking at the world for an experience outside of your own, because we only know the world for our own experience, but our own experience is not fact of how that world functions. Um, so, you know, like all of my able-bodied friends, like they they haven't gone through the world experiencing it and I in the way that I have but through knowing me and seeing and hearing about the things that I've experienced they know they know my experience um and I think that there are so many ways now we're so lucky that we are in a world where we can access so many different perspectives and so many different experiences you can you know you can follow a diverse amount of people on Instagram you can read there are so many great books out like I mean there always has been books weren't invented like recently but um you know we can we can read through so many different perspectives and we can watch through so many different perspectives even listen through different perspectives with music and podcasts and I think just being willing to learn something new and you know even if it does challenge your current idea of what experiences through the world don't be scared of that um and also don't get wrapped up in the guilt of it um I know like you'll see for me like as a white person when I'm listening to 
what a lot of what my black friends experience, um, particularly from the you know 2020 around the conversations that we had. I think it's really important not to get wrapped up and center yourself in. I can't believe I didn't know that. I, I feel so bad, and like you know, of course you're not going to know that because the system was set up for you not to learn that. But you have to go. Okay, I didn't know that. Should have known that before, but I know that now. How can I incorporate this newfound information into, into my life? And you can you can say that about every topic, topic about every marginalised group. Um, just don't be afraid to learn and actually seek out the information yourself. Don't depend on it to be spoon-fed to you, whether that is going to Waterstones and having a look through the books or, you know, going to um, going through podcasts and looking for new experiences and hearing new things. I also love that you, you brought up the guilt because I was going to raise that if you didn't, if like, you can sometimes though the way we're we're talked to by the internet like the internet is a thing but like it's it's almost like we're supposed to all know everything and have every experience or or we should just we're, we're bad in some way or we and like none of us can be everything right like accepting that and being like okay now i get to be curious um yeah be and, and don't put the pressure on like oh I'm so sorry I did I didn't know that and then it's almost like when when you're over the top with that you're then putting the pressure on the marginalized person to it's almost a bit like forgive me and it's like leave them alone like okay like you know they know this because they've experienced it probably their whole life or for a good proportion of their life you've just learned it take the information away and learn what you're going to do with it what are you learning about right now? What are you excited to be learning about? I'm currently reading a book. I'm doing a project series on um, the beauty standards throughout history. Um, so I, I, I've, I've always been, I've always loved history. I think that's horrible history's fault for getting me into that as a kid with the, the songs and everything. But I've always really loved history because I think we can tell a lot about our current, our present from you know looking at our past i think there's a great quote which is those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it um and so i'm currently reading a great book um it's called fearing the black body uh the origins uh the racial origins of fat phobia um and so i was creating content anyway about beauty standards and how they've always been there they weren't suddenly created with social media and with technology um but i'm really looking back at how they've adapted and shifted throughout time and the historical events that have caused them to shift um and that's that for me is really really stimulating because we can learn so much about where we're currently at with the way people feel about their bodies with all of that information that sounds so interesting i'm gonna add it to my to read list thank you for this it really is a phenomenal book <laughs> thank you so much for listening and thank you to sophie for this wonderful conversation to learn more about sophie and where you can follow her as well as her work check out our show notes